0: I will say more about this text during the sermon, so let me simply read to you from the 19th chapter of the book of the Acts of the Apostles. It's the closest thing we have to a history of the early church while Apollos was in Corinth. Apollos was one of the early disciples, a convert of Paul, and helped him establish churches in the Mediterranean world while Apollos was in Corinth. Paul passed through the inland regions and came to Ephesus, where he found some disciples. He said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you came to believe? And they replied, No, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And Paul said to them, Into what then were you baptized? And They answered, Into John's baptism. Paul said, Well, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling people to believe in the one who was to come after him, that is, in Jesus. And on hearing this, they were baptized again. They were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them, and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. Altogether, there were about twelve of them. Into what then were you baptized? You have heard the ancient story. Let us listen now for the word of the Lord. What a week. We've had some difficult days in our 20 years as your pastors. Amy stood in this pulpit the Sunday after 9-11, but this is probably the single most difficult Sunday I have ever stood right here. From this pulpit four years ago, I referenced a seminar in which Amy and I had been invited to participate. The seminar was called The Church in the Age of Donald Trump. Following worship that day, I was politely but forcefully taken to task as if I had announced our participation in a, for, uh, in a forbidden partisanship, you know, the act of preaching as a covert arm of the Democratic Party or something like that. Did you attend a seminar for the church in the age of Obama, I was asked, pointedly? No, I said. Nor for Bill Clinton or George W. Bush, the other presidents representing our tenure as your pastors. The planners of that seminar apparently felt no such seminar had ever before been warranted. What one man had brought to the cultural and political landscape of American life, at least in recent memory, was completely new. Wednesday's sad insurrection at the U.S. Capitol, another day that will live in infamy, was the culmination of four years of unrelenting assault on the norms and conventions of American democracy as it has been known and an erosion of the very fabric of truth. That attack which was as predictable as it was deplorable confirmed the deepest instincts and the worst fears that have been shared by every one of our ministerial colleagues as well as all the voices, theological and historical, the voices of wisdom we have trusted for our two decades in pastoral ministry. Nothing like this has ever happened in the history of the United States. Let us pray we never witness it again. So what does the pastor of a theologically progressive Christian church say at the culmination of such a presidency, which may very well be summarized in the history books by one date, January 6, 2021? Should I speak of truth? And what can happen to a nation when it can no longer identify fact from fantasy? Should I speak of the power and the danger of the use of words to inspire and to incite 30 years of talk radio, hate media, the insidious poison of text and tweets? Should I speak of the Christian demand for character and integrity in individual and public life and the hypocrisy of a church that turns its back on its own preaching? Should I speak of the essential role of the church to call out injustice, racial and economic, to name bigotry and intolerance for what it is? And could I say any of that and not be accused of partisan pandering? God forbid that I should stand as some will today and try to stand with the biblical prophet Nathan who dared to call out the infidelity of the leader of a nation. Now I'm not asking for your pity today though I have prayed long and hard over what to say to a diverse congregation on a Sunday that is positioned tenuously between insurrection and inauguration, between failure and future. No, I am not asking for your pity But my colleagues who announced that seminar four years ago that the church was facing an unprecedented challenge were not wrong. Wednesday was undeniable proof of that. So what does the pastor of a theologically progressive Christian church say today? There is so much that could be said, so much that needs to be said. I think we'll talk about baptism. The church calendar names today Baptism of the Lord Sunday. For 20 years, I have been consistently surprised and inspired by a lectionary of prescribed biblical texts that time and time again have managed to offer just the right word for just the right day. The lectionary was originally conceived in 1969, a three-year cycle of text first selected by a Roman Catholic scholars group. It was last summer that I chose the narrative from the book of Acts that I just read for you. Last summer, I chose it for today. The Apostle Paul is in Corinth, one of the cosmopolitan centers of ancient Asia, where earlier he had established one of the first Christian churches there. Those Corinthian converts were among the first followers of this way of Jesus that was sweeping the Mediterranean world. The text calls them disciples, and Paul's question to them caught my attention all those months ago. I had no idea how appropriate they would be for this difficult day until I watched in horror as that frenzied mob stormed the U.S. Capitol on Wednesday. Many of the banners were repulsive enough, but two of them turned my stomach, broke my spirit. Five people were killed in this murderous madness, and many of the president's mob seemed to have had equal, if divided, loyalties. One banner made it clear, hoisting two names in equal size, two names in power and pride Jesus and Trump. Another, A bright yellow flag pointed prophetically to the church in the age of Donald Trump. As the chosen weapon of the one who carried that banner, a mad and misguided missionary marched against U.S. soil proclaiming, Jesus saves. And Paul said to the disciples, Into what then were you baptized? Into what were you baptized? Park Road Baptist Church was founded in 1950 as a Southern Baptist congregation, a mission enterprise of Myers Park and Pritchard Memorial Baptist churches. The founding pastor self-identified as an evangelist. Years later, Charlie Milford would smile cynically as he remembered, I came to save souls like firebrands from the burning. I've heard Charlie say that many times. In those days, baptism was understood in that light. Probably a mix of sanctimony and superstition, water, enough of it to drown any unrepentant sinner, was salvation. Immersion quenched the fires of eternal damnation. Now, I don't have time to recount this morning what was probably a 20-year conversion of that pastor and much of his congregation. But that movement, which has been described as the liberation of a congregation, included the conversion of the theology and the practice of baptism. While not written into the actual bylaws of this church, this congregation adopted a policy that it has long called non-compulsory baptism, which encourages baptism, but remarkably for a Baptist church, does not require it for church membership. Now I can tell you more about this history and theology, but this morning just a summary of what I have come to believe is the thoroughly Baptist instinct behind our not very Baptist expression of baptism. Baptists have always said that we practice believer's baptism by immersion. That is, rather than infant baptism. When someone has grown and reached enough understanding to choose to be baptized, to choose to be baptized, we dunk our converts. They have to drip dry from one end to the other. It's a beautiful symbol, not just of cleansing, but a symbol of Jesus, buried in the likeness of his death, raised to walk in the newness of life. As I have experienced it in Baptist life, however, what often happens fails the smell test of anything that I think ought to be called believer's baptism. Some fiancé comes to the pastor and says, She says I need to join the church. Just tell me what to do. And he gets baptized. The church visitor is ready to take the next step in community and commitment But honestly, not ready yet for baptism, but it's always been required. You know, we're Baptists, so by guilt or fear or by tradition, she has walked through the water. What should be a symbol imbued with spiritual significance, which can be a meaningful symbol for a lifetime of faith, becomes a hollow initiation. The jumping through hoop of ecclesiastical requirement form over function, conformity over conviction. So Park Road Baptist Church decided years ago to be Baptist enough to risk not looking Baptist at all in this regard. This church chose to separate the conversations about church membership and baptism, insisting that when we baptize, it will mean something. Baptism is encouraged, but not required. Having given up any truly sacramental understanding of the practices of faith, that was way too Catholic for our Baptist forebears. Baptism has always been understood in Baptist life not as a sacrament, but as a symbol. Important, rich, meaningful, but a symbol of commitment, not a requirement for salvation. Christians practice baptism in many forms, with infants and with adults, by sprinkling water, by pouring water over your head, in full-bodied immersion. Some traditions, like Quakers, do not baptize at all. Park Road has been Baptist enough over the years to insist that true faith must never be coerced, can never be coerced, And Park Road has been Baptist enough to insist that the priesthood of the individual believer is inviolable. That is, each person has the responsibility and the right to decide when and where and how to make commitments in faith. Not only is there a deeply Baptist instinct in this church's tradition, I believe, but a deeply Christian one as well. Christians have always insisted that baptism signified something meaningful and mysterious, deep, and difficult. The earliest converts to the faith studied for a year before going into the water completely naked in an annual Easter ceremony. In those waters, they were asked to confess their faith, sometimes repeating it three times in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And when they did so, confessing their faith by saying, Jesus is Lord, they were not just confessing a religious conviction. They were making a pointedly political statement. Now, many of you do not want to hear that today. But from the very beginning, if we are honest about our faith, our tradition, our history, from the very beginning the confession of Christian faith has been a political, subversive act. Jesus is Lord means Caesar is not. Baptism was a public testimony to a commitment to a new way, to a set of convictions that was unlike that of any military allegiance, unlike any allegiance to any economic system, to any structure of human government. In in baptism, Christians were saying unequivocally, our faith and hope, our trust and loyalty is in Jesus alone. Not magic, not military, not money, not the Roman emperor, not Donald J. Trump. The sick and sickening Christian nationalism that was on broad display and the bright banners and the angry chants and the misguided mob mentality of a failed insurrection has not only brought the shining hope of democracy to its knees, the Trump insurrection, as it is being called, has also brought the Christian church, the church of Jesus Christ, to a moment of clear decision. To what will we pledge our allegiance? Capitalism? Militarism? Republicanism? Liberalism? Americanism? Into what then were you baptized? The powerful politics of Christian baptism, makes it clear, and the world needs us to finally fully understand that confession of faith, Jesus is Lord and no other. May it be so. Amen.